Heather Moore, come into court. Heather Moore. Anybody representing Heather Moore, come into court. All right, the case has been called. Uh, I understand she also notified the clerk's office? Yes, sir. Okay, well then, uh, we will hear then from Mr. Strickland. Good afternoon, Your Honors. Here on behalf of the appellant, Mr. Moore, and I have my colleague, Priya Patel, assisting me today as well. I'm in the argument part myself, though. We, this comes from an appeal from May 5th, 2017, final order from Coweta County Superior Court. And this order was on a petition filed by Ms. Moore to modify custody and child support that was filed in July 2016. And it goes back to modifying an April 16, 2009 divorce decree and dealt with a minor child that was 14 years of age at the time that the case went to trial. There's six enumerations of error raised in our brief, and I'll go through each of those. There's two of those issues that actually deal with the court ordering the modification of child support itself without making proper findings required pursuant to Georgia child support guidelines. There's two additional issues addressing the court providing a deviation from the presumptive amount of child support pursuant to the guidelines without actually attaching a child support worksheet as required by Georgia law, and also without making the proper determinations pursuant to the child support guidelines to support that deviation. And finally, the last two issues we raised on appeal address with the court, address the court actually uh, modifying not just uh, physical custody, but also legal custody in the case, doing that without attaching a parenting plan, and also doing that without the issue of legal custody properly being before the court, uh, not being addressed in Mrs. Moore's petition or raised at all at trial. I'll start with enumerations two, actually three and four, if the court will allow, dealing with the deviation itself. And when the court sees the record, the final order that was there in this, in this case starts off by restating the incomes of the two parties. And then it goes straight to saying this is what child support is going to be moving forward. There actually are no child support worksheets whatsoever attached to this order. Instead, five days later, after the order was entered, the attorney at the time for Mrs. Moore went and filed two worksheets with the court that appeared to correspond what the court ordered in the final order. Never was incorporated at all into that final order. And that raises the first point we have, which is OCGA 19-6-15, which of course is the Georgia, trials, um, Georgia uh, Child Support Guidelines. Under um, subsection M, paragraph one, the code says, child support worksheets and any schedules that were prepared for the purpose to calculate the amount of child support shall be attached to the final court order or judgment. We cited in our brief a case from this court from 2012, Johnson v. Ware, and that is 313 Georgia App 774. This is a divorce case that, uh, where the order actually addressed child support, did not have a worksheet attached to it. And the court found because the worksheet was not attached, the case had to be reversed and remanded back to the trial court. Now, even if the court were to uh, somehow consider these two worksheets that were filed subsequently by the other lawyer that were not incorporated in, which I believe the court cannot do, but if you were to consider those, there's a second issue here. In the uh, final order from the court, the court found that child support was going to be a certain amount for the father. In addition to that, starting in 2018, January 2018, the father also had to pay 35% of any bonuses he received over $3,500 directly to Mrs. Moore's child support as well. And the worksheets that were filed in the court 
do not address this bonus whatsoever. Nowhere else is there any findings um, concerning this deviation whatsoever, of course, not noted in the worksheet. And we have a case we cited in 2011, Georgia Supreme Court case. It's Style versus Huguenard. It's 288 Georgia 628. This case is right on point. This is a case where a trial court ordered a father to pay 25% of any commissions he received outside of a certain base income directly as child support to the mother. And the court did a really good job in this case of walking through 19-6-15 and showing all the reasons why it was not proper to actually have this separate order outside the guidelines uh, requiring this additional commission um, to go to the other party. So what we have here, first of all, uh, you're arguing there's no worksheets, but then if we have worksheets, they're defective. That's correct, Judge. And 19-6-15, um, and this is uh, subsection B, paragraph 8, says deviations subtracted from or increased to the presumptive amount of child support must be supported by the required findings of fact and application of the best interests of the child standard and shall be entered on the child support Schedule E deviations. Of course, as you all know, Schedule E in the worksheet addresses these deviations. Doesn't happen here. Um, we also have 19-6-15I1B, which states when ordering a deviation from the presumptive amount of child support, the court shall make written findings or special interrogatory findings that, amount, that an amount of child support other than the amount calculated is reasonably necessary to revive the needs of the child. And once again here, there were no written findings whatsoever addressing this deviation. And there's one other case we also cited here that shows you how strict this requirement is. And if a trial court is going to go outside the guidelines, what they have to actually include in their order to do that. And it's Flatger versus Flatger. It's a uh, 2014 Supreme Court case, 296 Georgia 145. In this case, the trial court judge actually made findings concerning a deviation and include the reasons for the deviation of the order. They, the judge also include the amount that would have been required the deviation not been applied as the child support guidelines requires. And also found that the presumptive amount would not be, would be inappropriate and that the deviated amount would be in the best interest of the children. But the Supreme Court said that was not enough, that the court did not explain how the application of child support guidelines would be unjust or inappropriate and how the best interest of the child is served by the deviation from the presumptive amount of child support as required, of course, by 19-6-15C2E. And there was one line from this case I thought was right on point and shows the importance of a trial court judge laying out the reasons why they're deviating from the presumptive amount of child support set by the legislature. The court stated, when reviewing deviations from the guidelines, the General Assembly has enacted for child support terminations. We cannot rely on implications or on assumptions. The trial court's written findings must connect the dots to explain if it is in fact why the court deviated that applying the presumptive amount of child support would be inappropriate. And here, your honors, we can't even connect the dots. The dots aren't there at all. And therefore, for that reason, the court should reverse the child support order and this back to the trial court. And addressing the other two issues, which are points one and two in our brief, this actually deals with the initial finding of a substantial change in circumstances before the court even modified child support at all. As I stated earlier, this order goes and states the incomes of the parties and it goes straight to what new child support will be. Now, the child support guidelines under subsection K, uh, paragraph one, once again, 19-6-15, which I keep going back to right now. Um, the court, well actually the General Assembly has set that threshold requirement that a parent 
shall not have the right to petition for modification of child support unless there is substantial change in either party's income or financial status or the needs of the child. And under the code section of the guidelines, there's actually two direct things that a trial court must do and must find before they actually can modify child support at all. The first, and this is all found um, under um, subsection K, paragraph 4. The court must enter a written order specifying the basis for the modification, which again, in this case would be a substantial change in income, either party or the needs of the child, and shall include all the information set forth in paragraph 2 of subsection C of this code section. And paragraph 2, subsection C, lays out eight things um, the court must look at when calculating child support pursuant to the guidelines. We have one case we cited in our brief on point, Supreme Court case 2012. This is Weatherington v. Weatherington, 291 Georgia 722. Um, this deals with a modification action where a trial court failed to address whether or not that actually been a change of circumstances justifying modification and did not use the child support guidelines in that order. And the court there actually said there's actually three steps when you look at the entire set of the guidelines together a court must go through. And a quote from that case, the court found these three steps is one, determine whether or not there's been a change in circumstances justify a modification. That was not done here at all. No finding as whether or not uh, there was substantial change in anybody's income justify a modification. Number two, make a written order specifying the basis for the modification, once again, not done, and including all the information set forth in paragraph two of subsection C of 19-6-15. Once again, going through the calculation of child support guidelines, not done in this case. And three, they also know that OCGA 19-6-15C1 um, requires the court to reconsider the amount of child support when they're doing a modification, which is, is just the requirement of going through the guidelines, which goes back to point number two. Um, once again, the court here did not do either one of these steps. Therefore, this case must be reversed, um, sent back to the trial court for more findings to whether or not they can actually justify, the court actually justify the modification that was put in place. Mr. Strickland, I don't have the transcript in my folder up here. Did Judge Hightower make any findings in the hearing on the record? He did go through, and um, at the very beginning of the hearing, the parties stated what their incomes were in the previous year, and they stipulated to that. The big sticking point for Mr. Moore were the bonuses he was also getting, and they stipulated the bonus amount that he had in 2016. And then at the very end of the case, in the transcript, you'll see Judge Hightower does go through and say, this is how I'm going to calculate child support, and instructed the other lawyer for Ms. Moore to prepare an order with this, and said exactly what should be in those worksheets what income should be used, what deviation he would actually allow. The problem is the dots never were connected. The final order says what he says, well, actually just went and said what child support's gonna be, but the worksheets were not prepared and they're not prepared in time, never were incorporated in that order. And so, yes, yeah, someone could take that transcript and connect those dots, but you can't take the record and connect those dots. Did y'all ask Judge Hightower to reconsider his order? I was not involved in the case at that time, and no, sir. He was not given the chance to reconsider his order in fairness to Judge Hightower. And um, on that same note, um, it's the same point I just made, but the court also found that starting in 2018, there would be another modification of child support. And what the judge did is he went and figured in uh, the bonuses that the parties agreed Mr. Moore was gonna make in 2016, excuse me, 2017. And then he calculated a separate child support order starting in January 2018 where Mr. Moore would actually give a percentage of his bonus directly to Ms. Moore, as I alluded to earlier. 
And the same thing, he made a future modification of child support starting in 2018 without making those two findings I just referenced required by the guidelines. Um, and finally, the last point I will make, when we deal with custody itself, the initial issue we have is there was no parenting plan that was attached to this order. Now this is uh, enumerations five and six. Yes, sir. Enumeration five itself, we cite OCGA 19-9-1A, which is a strict requirement that the final order in any legal action involving the custody of a child, including modification actions such as this, shall incorporate a permanent, permanent parenting plan as further set forth in this code section. Legislature has allowed you to put language in a final order that suffices what a parenting plan must have. Here, that's not done at all. And that's so important as we get to the final point. The issue before the court was uh, a petition to modify custody and child support along with that. And it was based solely on the minor child's affidavit of election to live with the mother. And when the trial started for the final hearing on this, and by the way, that's, that's the only issue raised in the petition to modify custody. The only issue raised in material change circumstances was the express desire of the child to stay with mother. And in the actual affidavit of election, um, the Meyer child stated the only reason she wanted to do this is she thought it was in her best interest to reside with her mother. And so this is very important because at the very beginning of the trial, the parties, Mr. Moore and his attorney, stipulated that they were going to agree to petition for, to what Ms. Moore was asking for in the petition to let the Meyer child live primarily with her. And what the Meyer child was, was agreeing to was requesting in her affidavit of election. And no other issues were raised at trial dealing with custody. The rest of the whole trial was about child support. When the final order comes out, though, uh, the judge actually found that Ms. Moore was entitled to sole physical custody, which was appropriate based on stipulation, but also sole legal custody. Legal custody was never raised at all in the petition, and Mr. Moore never had a chance to ever address that at trial. And I know we have OCGA 9-11-15, which allows for amendments to, to actually uh, conform to pleadings. Uh, if something is actually presented at trial. This issue never came up at trial at all. The issue of legal custody was never on the table. Mr. Moore never had a chance to have addressed that at trial. And the importance of a parenting plan in addition to this, we don't know what access to records Mr. Moore actually has. We don't know whether or not he gets any say in any legal decisions whatsoever. All we know is sole legal custody went to Ms. Moore. And with that, I have about 43 seconds left. Happy to answer any questions you all may have. Ms. Bethel, do you have anything? Thank you. Um, thank you, Mr. Strickland. I do want to sound the uh, courtroom one more time for Heather Moore. Is Heather Moore present? Anybody representing Heather Moore? All right. Well, the court will be in recess. We're going to take a short break. We'll be in recess for about 10 minutes. <laughs>